arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Coast to coast, showing the world the vast resources and the glories of America, the triumphs of city and country, farm and factory, a saga of democracy. A lightning bolt epitomizes man's harnessing of electricity. In this plaza of light, the nation's foremost companies present the magic of today that paves the way for the miracles of tomorrow. Symbols of more power to you and all the world. Signposts are the marvels of the modern electric era. Sounds from the 1939 New York World's Fair. The catchphrase for the fair was, I have seen the future. In this new novel we start this evening, the patrons of the fair might not want to see a future with unforeseen pitfalls. They were very optimistic. I'm Robert P. Fitton. I Have Seen the Future begins 218 years ahead in time from the 1939 World's Fair. It's a world not controlled by human beings where punishment for disobedience comes swiftly. Respect for life is a mere platitude of the past. Andy Reese, a man who studies exoplanets, is anathema to this cold-hearted world. It is in this realm of work that Andy discovers humanity's existence is threatened. Let's start with a look at the future, as I Have Seen the Future by Robert P. Fitton begins now. Chapter 1, A.D. 2157, 43 degrees, 9 minutes, 17 seconds north, 77 degrees, 36 minutes, 56 seconds west. Mariah wanted to kill herself, and Andy was helpless to stop her. The monkeys had not yet decreed that she be eliminated from the citizenry. No one ever saw the monkeys because they were pure thought, post-biological life forms within the cloud. Human progress had produced the beginnings of post-biological intelligence hundreds of years ago. That intelligence now charted the most appropriate lies for their creators. Andy found it difficult to refer to them as the Seraph. They were more like renegade monkeys on the loose through the jungle. He wore his silver fighting suit as he maneuvered his illuminated capsule five meters above the snowy city street. This city, once called Rochester, New York, in another time, displayed on his panel as Earth coordinates 43917 north by 773656 west. He kept the monkeys out of his plugs by utilizing the local intelligence in the capsule's onboard system. Two hours ago, as he executed defensive fighting maneuvers in the Ptolemy Observatory's rec room, his life plug sounded with an alert from the monkeys about Mariah. He entered the clear magnetic tube duct over the frozen river. For a few seconds, the snow vanished. Once he exited, the interior heaters vaporized the oncoming snow in the sloping nanoglass. As the capsule veered onto Old Broad Street, the forward screen located the elimination rooms in a building a hundred meters ahead. Andy checked the glowing green plug panel docked in his center console. 
His heartbeat accelerated, despite his capsule shield preventing the monkeys from monitoring him. Andy yanked his plugs from the console, deactivated the system, and clamped his plugs on his wrist. The capsule slowed at a towering blue-tinted nanoglass building, reflecting the shrouded sun in the midst of the storm. Cold air awaited him outside. The capsule parted from the top and a gust of snow swept over him. He crawled outside as the capsule hummed shut. Then he angled his head and shoulder against the storm as he crossed a courtyard toward the glowing blue entrance. Because of the debilitating pain, Mariah threatened to end her life many times, but Andy had always talked her out of it. Why were these monkeys so precise about the odds of dying? A dancing blue beam above the entrance attempted to scan his deactivated plugs. After another attempt, they captured his face. The towering corrugated door rumbled open in the warm air and circled him. Green tubes glowed several hundred meters upward. A responder voice echoed loudly. Andy was unsure whether he was listening to a localized intelligence or perhaps it originated from the unseen cloud. He feared the monkeys would seep outside and confront him. Reese, Andrew A. Social Identity 1465-9235-0897. He placed his hands on his hips and looked skyward. Where's my sister? The responder formed an indefinite hazy green-blue glow above him. This responder spoke with an intimidating voice. Mariah Reese entered this facility 29 minutes ago. 29 minutes ago. Andy's voice shook. Is she still alive? I wish to take her to my silo. Her disease is not life-threatening. Any citizen may enter an elimination room and be treated. Treat it. Maybe someday we'll have countries again and start passing laws instead of submitting to what the Seraph want. Now where is she? Morally, your questions hold no credence. Morally? What do you know about morals? You aren't even human. Brilliant orange lace fields instantly swiveled like a snake three or four meters above him. Although the monkeys could not survive outside the cloud for extended periods of time, their presence scared him. He backed toward the wall. I want my sister released. He cringed at the thought of the monkeys encapsulating his body. Suspension for days or weeks convinced citizens of proper behavior. Only once in his life, when he was eight years old, did they pursue him. He had defied a court order not to swim in the lake. Freezing air surrounded him when the monkeys restrained him. It cost him one hour, with his body suspended above the beach. He no longer heard the responders. The monkeys had the ability to communicate suggestively. It was a matter of understanding or knowing what they wanted. Elimination room functionaries as well as clients are protected by the Seraph and subject to suspension if you are not Seraph correct. I want Mariah released. You challenge the Seraph? No, no. He hunkered at the mass of pinpoint orange-yellow monkeys above him. But I am asking that my sister 
be allowed to live her life. Her granules will be delivered to your silo as a second genetic composite. What? He asked incredulously. Tears formed in his eyes. You cold-hearted bastards. You are informed that you risk challenging the Seraph. So what? So what? Decisions made by non-human entities inside the cloud? You will leave the elimination area. Excuse me if I grieve. That's what humans do. You make me sick. The Seraph make me sick. You have passed the threshold. You are not Seraph, correct? Go to hell, will you? Andy clenched his fists as he approached the outside nanoglass. A sun-drenched image of Mariah's straight brown hair and medicated green eyes materialized in his thoughts. She lounged on her wicker chair outside her silo just yesterday afternoon. Andy clenched his fist as he approached the outside nanoglass. Talk of entering the elimination rooms had ceased days ago. He had planned to bring a specially prepared meal to her for supper. But then he received a call from Sonia Margolis at the Ptolemy Institute to the south. High-energy readings from Jupiter required his presence at work. He spent all night dealing with the odd energy fluctuations. When he awoke, he decided to work out. Now Mariah was dead, because he had gone to work. I loved my sister. Don't you understand that? Your lack of civility has been noted. You will be evaluated. Then you just eliminate me, like all others who challenge. You are not Seraph correct, but will not be eliminated. Andy's anger mixed with sadness as he pictured Mariah's verdant eyes in the sunshine. Before her immune problems, she was so energetic and a catalyst in his own life. All his emotions twisted like muddy water down the drain. He banged his elbow against the glass. What the hell has happened to this world? He darted toward the building entry. The front door split open and the cold air swept inside as a mass of orange monkeys encapsulated his body. A sparkling field tightened around his wrists and ankles. He should never have challenged them. Disruption of elimination clinics is forbidden. Andy struggled at first as they slowly suspended him above the sidewalk. The coldness stung his glazed eyes and sweaty skin. You're suspending me because you just killed my sister. Six months suspension. The yellow line energy particles blocked the outside world. He sensed a fleeting euphoria when they punished him at the lake, but now he had upset the monkeys really bad. An all-pervasive force of electrical impulses oozed from the cloud into the real world like poison dumped into clean water. A field vault now totally encompassed him within the bright light. Seconds later, he was in a light sleep and then he went out. Chapter 2. The distant words grew louder within a rotating fog. Andy! Andy! Andy floated down to street level until his body rotated vertically in the morning sun. The vault slowly dissolved in the warm air and the monkeys were gone. The light hurt his eyes. Cody's square face, jar and dark hair came into view. He slapped Andy's shoulder. How long did they put me under? 
You're lucky they didn't eliminate you. Cody pressed his lips and clamped a silver inducer band around his wrist. Sometimes it's best just to keep your mouth shut when it comes to the seraph, Andy. You want an inducer? You're not supposed to be driving with it, but what the hell? Andy shook his head. He was not going to lecture Cody again about the stupidity of keeping his blood levels elevated. Thanks for getting me out. How long did those monkeys get me for? Well, you owe me six months. You've been out for six months. Are you kidding me? He stretched his tightened muscles and panned the warm, hazy air. They killed Mariah, Cody. I know. My job. What about my job? Well, you'll just have to watch what you say, even at your job. I'm sure everyone at Tommy has been alerted. Now, come on. My capsule is docked over near the river. What about my capsule? He asked as they trekked down the sidewalk. Other capsules buzzed by at high speed. It's back at your silo. They brought it back there six months ago. Andy fumbled with his plugs. They didn't get into my plugs. Well, why not? I deactivated my plugs before I entered the clinic. He closed his eyes briefly and pinched the bridge of his nose. Now I have six months of work to make up. There were odd readings coming from Jupiter. And Mariah's dead. You need some loving. Some virtual servicing. Andy did not look at him as they walked onto the river bridge. How did we ever get this way, anyhow? What we think of as real is not real anymore. The touch of human flesh. Those monkeys don't have that, and they never will. No one even knows where the cloud housings are here on Earth. Or are they in space? We couldn't destroy them because we could never find them. Cody held his shoulder as the river flowed rapidly below. Quiet, quiet, they'll hear you. Stupid monkeys, treating someone alive like my sister as a statistic. She provided an easy elimination for them. Cody's capsule whined open and Andy rolled inside. He removed a flexible water canister from the forward compartment. The capsule closed and hovered over the road. They hummed at top speed over the river rapids and lifted over the falls carved in the rocks. Then they sped toward the blue lake. Next time they'll tag you, or in six months they may even eliminate you, Andy. I would shut up if I were you. He sneered at Cody as the massive lake's steely waters whipped by below. Once upon a time, we had rights. Once upon a time, we voted and had a government. This used to be New York, part of the United States of America. But the United States doesn't exist anymore, Cody. Not because there was a revolution. It was more subtle than that. The expansion of knowledge slowly took away what mob rule couldn't. Little by little, year by year, and before we knew it, we were only accountable to that monstrosity that we created. I don't understand you, Andy. You never fought the Seraph before. You were a guy who liked his work. You can't beat them. He studied Cody's dark eyes. Maybe not, but I can't just stand by anymore and accept things that are wrong. Humans investigate. We look ahead. We aren't some form of life that just does what we're told to do. Well, there's nothing you can do about it. We live in a post-biological cesspool. Cody shrugged his shoulders as the capsule opened. Andy gazed up at his silo. Thousands of citizens were housed in this massive white monument to the culture. 
300 meters into the sky. Andy, I won't say anything about what you just said. Andy gawked at him again. Because I express my opinion? I should just leave my plugs deactivated. Cody produced a nervous laugh. Well, you know that isn't a good idea. They, they'll know sooner or later. Goodbye, Cody. He extricated himself from the capsule and looked back at his dark-haired friend inside. Thanks for picking me up. I hope it doesn't get you into trouble. Just keep your thoughts, Andy. The Seraph don't judge. They just do what they do. The capsule sealed shut, and almost at once the pewter shell with its glowing dome cruised smoothly above the concourse. Andy dallied on the walk as a pinpoint satellite caught his eye as it traced the darkening blue sky. He had earned his doctorate and studied radio and optical signals for an assignment. Whether at the Tomey facility atop the mountain overlooking Lake A3510 or aligning the sky through localized intelligence in his interior silo, Andy Reese loved the sky. The cold and silent sky with the stars brightening. He preferred the sky to the astounding lack of perspective everywhere. And now Mariah was dead. A violet scanner etched out a triangular particle beam emanating from thin angled doors. The beam matched everything about him down to his last genetic strand. The building warned him to open his plugs. He reported damaged plugs as he held up his wrist. The transparent outer tubes opened. As he stepped onto the corrugated red platform, he was advised to energize his new plugs. The platform zoomed upward, revealing a sweeping view of all the silos pointing skyward like flowers in a garden toward the glowing gray sky above the lake. Mariah's narrow face, vibrant green eyes, and ready smile lingered within the moving clouds and the first twinkling stars. She would have faced a long battle with pain Nixon deuces, but he could not support her elimination. The tears coated his eyes and leaked down his cheeks. Rows of white silos along the deep blue lake reminded him how everyone had to follow the rules. Even though he wanted to enjoy the sunset, he was pulled back inside the silo. Every silo had a bold scent designed to mimic the real world. He sensed forward motion along a series of thin, blue-hued mirrors. The lack of orientation bred a loneliness that almost made him wish to challenge the monkeys just to have contact with the outside world. With a sudden push, a tube designated 15-2 spread open diagonally, and he simply walked into his foyer. A blue identity beam surrounded him. Once more, he was warned to fix his plugs. The inner door unzipped like a torn thread. The interior illumination brightened. He picked up the glowing red controller off the nanoglass coffee table and opened his sleeping quarters in the far wall. The localized field spoke to him, but he now knew his every action was possibly available to the monkeys. Room temperature is 72 degrees, Andy. Is that acceptable? That's about the only thing that's acceptable, he said as he eyed his sleeping quarters. I'm six months behind in my work now. My sister is dead. Link me into Ptolemy, and then I want to absorb the quadrant through the tower receptors. System is executing? Get some windows in here. Put me on the ocean. I need to feel real again. The outside walls formed pane windows that soon brightened into a wide blue ocean spread. 
Andy kicked off his shoes and stared at the tall white dunes and the long beach. Where the hell is that? This is a live view of what was once called Cape Cod. Pretty, he said as he turned to his desk in the brightening screen above. What's going on with the quadrant absorption? There is a problem with the seraph screening your actions. Andy squinted and felt his hatred of the monkeys form in his gut. Just override it. You may face charges if you challenge them. Andy rolled his eyes and spun around in his chair. You are cleared. Wonderful. He slid the chair across the floor and opened his stainless steel food containment and squeezed a large foil nutrient juice pack. Across the room, the wide wall monitor glowed blue with the Ptolemy data. He jammed the straw into the pack and sipped the cool liquid as he pulled his desk chair back. Get me the inner solar system Jovian moons. Ptolemy wishes you to absorb Signet Draconis. What do you mean, Ptolemy? Who specifically is making that request? Jonah Dolce. Jonah? Andy stroked his chin. I don't trust Jonah. I have the distinct feeling Jonah alerted the monkeys when I went up to stop Mariah's death. The only person I trusted told me is Dan Crutchfield and maybe Sonia Margolis. Shall I call Dr. Crutchfield? Negative. Just implement my damn program. Forget about Jonah Dulce's request. The Jovian distortion is where I left off last time. The screen flooded and a numbered program flashed yellow letters on the blue background. Mariah never understood his fascination with astronomy. She lectured him about this being his hobby, diverting from a more lucrative employment. Her lectures stopped when his doctorate degree in deep space research was posted throughout the cloud. There's a strong likelihood, Andy, that the Seraph will be aware of this action. Andy gawked at the screen. I don't really care. Commence Jovian absorption. I'll take my chances. A crisp image of Jupiter's gaseous layers cast a red glow across his flight suit once the room lights had dimmed. With the multitude of swirling bands and lightning storms, he was lost in thoughts of Mariah, riding her bicycle years ago before the monkeys had inundated all aspects of life. Mom and Dad were still alive and they had not yet annihilated his family home in Tobin Springs. Sleep soundly, Mariah. Sleep soundly. Remotely utilizing the Ptolemy viewer to survey Jupiter's crater-packed moon Io would also allow him to track this six-month-old distortion. He leaned back in the chair once the Jovian system sharpened. Somehow he would have a church service for Mariah. That would really get the monkeys buzzing. He gritted his teeth and shouted, I just don't understand why killing yourself is sanctioned. Is that a question for me? Sure. You answer it. The Seraph rely on Donnelly versus Oregon in 2012, long before the dissolution of government. That ruling specifically allowed states to allow an individual to end... There are no more states, so just shut up. Is that a command? No, no. I want to send my usual outer civilization message. You have an incoming message from Cody and an attached list of women for your pleasure. Table it. No, delete it. Bring up my outer civilization salutation. Use the neutrino alignment on the hyperband and hide it from the monkeys. 
implementing. The Ptolemy image swung to another Jovian moon, Ganymede. Andy studied its cracked surface and began a planetary scan from a 50-meter vantage point. He soon heard his own voice, lively and not affected by grief and six months of suspension, on a meshed neutrino broadcast from the powerful gain antennas in Earth orbit. This is Andrew James Reese speaking to you from the planet Earth in the year 2155. Do you wish to update the year? asked the screen. Sure, why not? This is Andrew James Reese speaking to you from the planet Earth in the year 2156. I am a human being, a scientist, and 21 years old, searching for intelligent life in the universe. By the time you hear this message, I will be long dead. That is, of course, unless your outer civilization is cruising around Earth. My planet suffers from its own advancement. We have sunk into the quicksand of our own creation. Do you wish me to automatically update the age on your birthday? Yes, go ahead. Maybe by the time you get this message, maybe we will have rebelled against the entities that control our lives. We used to live in a world that wasn't perfect, but at least a place where most people were guided by their own inner compass. The human spirit flourished. We made our own decisions, our own judgment. For all the good this will do, I am convinced all civilizations become the victim of their own advancement. Ganymede's shattered purple-gray crust with a few scattered dome settlements had a mesmerizing impact. Bring up my family history in the lower corner of the screen and then I want to access historical image sites. Do you wish me to list your last viewing history? No, I'll determine where I'm going, said Andy as he sipped the cool packs liquid. Your message is meshed and repeating to the galaxy outside Seraph capacities. An actual image of Mariah and himself, 15 years ago, appeared in the monitor's lower corner. On her shiny red bicycle, Mariah was so innocent after she had lost a tooth and her poodle eyes pulled him back through the years. Do you wish access to family video and audio data? No. Another picture of Andy and Mariah at the zoo in Denver prompted him to clamp his wet eyes. He shook his head as he folded his elbows on his desk and cried into the stuffy darkness. The monkeys could never sense his grief or his distraction as he wept and drifted out. The repeating beep awakened him and he sat up in front of the screen. He rubbed a slight cramp in his neck. You have an incoming live message on a beam of neutrinos. Neutrinos? You sure my own beam isn't reflecting back? Andy squinted at the clock in the lower corner of a refreshed image of Jupiter. At 3.15 in the morning? Odd. Andy yawned and for a moment actually forgot Mariah was dead. Odd, is that your best assessment? Yes. Andy stood and chucked the drink pack in the wastebasket. I really need to get to bed, but an incoming neutrino beam is odd. Maybe I found an outer civilization. This message comes from the Jovian space disturbance, yet it emerges from the quantum level. Quantum level? What the hell? Pull back Jupiter overview, 900 kilometers. He turned and faced the Jupiter image. The distortion was depicted graphically as a yellow funnel tilted toward Ganymede, but then it disappeared only to emerge within a few meters from where he sat. 
Incredible. A message from that disturbance? It originates from the distortion. There is a gap on a thin quantum arrangement that is not used in conventional communication. It has visual content and is indeed current, not recorded. The neutrino beam emerges, possibly from inside this unit. And that emergence is the neutrino arrangement. Doesn't matter. Let's see it. And there is data transfer occurring. Well, I don't care about the data right now. Give me that message. Full or partial depiction asked the screen. Just play the damn thing. The screen above him was instantly snowy, but soon sharpened to a clear resolution. At a shiny dark slab, two men with straight white hair and smooth faces sat in high-backed chairs next to a middle-aged woman with crimson hair. They were clad in pale green, smooth cloaks and placed within gray marble columns surrounding an elongated open window. Craggy mountain peaks were backdropped by a magenta sky layered with swift-moving dark clouds. Tubular metal cylinder was placed on a pedestal next to the window. In the center, the man with a thin bronze face spoke English with a strange accent. We are the Enclave, and we wanted to contact you directly, Reese. You have not sent your outer civilization message for some time. I was suspended by the monkey, the seraph, for six months. That is most unfortunate. We are aware of your work with Ptolemy. Who are you? The old man continued. The signal wavered like an old-style microwave transmission. I am Kalia. I speak to you, Reese. A mere 23 years in your future from our enclave here on Ganymede. You see us within a compressed frequency through time. Well, such a signal is not possible. Why this charade? The screen interrupted him. The signal is emerging through a quantum distortion and a neutrino beam directed through to you. This is real. I see, said Andy, and he looked back at the old man. Why are you calling me? My name is Zabariah, and your signal is vital to us, said the woman. I sent an outer civilization message. That's my job. A rotund man in a satin green robe spoke next. I am Mahimites, and there's nothing left here. What do you mean there's nothing left? Andy fell back in the chair and stared at the fleeting gray clouds. You are from my future? Kalia faced the others before turning back to Andy. The Seraph are eliminating all humans. Earth is devoid of humans, except those humans inhabited by the Seraph. At the present time, the Seraph are eliminating all humans. Earth is devoid of humans, except those humans inhabited by the Seraph. We all hide in the Ganymede Enclave, away from the Earth and away from the Seraph. What do you want? asked Andy. Kalia's bushy white brow slowly rose. We cherish the values of the past before the great advancement. The signal wavered and then returned to snow. Get it back, yelled Andy to the screen. The entire beam has gone down. Andy closed his eyes and leaned back in the chair. Then he heard static and Kalia was visible again through the snow. Okay, this is the future, asked Andy as he stood. He paced around his silo interior and shook his head. And why me? Kalia leaned forward. Your outer civilization neutrino signal has brought you to us. 
Andy folded his arms. And you say there are no humans left on Earth. What if the monkeys, the, the Seraph, are aware of this signal? Unlikely in your time, Reese. The signal is on a compressed quantum path to your point of origin on a neutrino beam, not a conventional method. Andy focused on a lengthy bronze tube. What is that tube? The data is called the Book of Record. Record of what? asked Andy as he sat up. From a time capsule embedded in the ground near New York City 218 years ago, a group of historians in what was once called the United States removed the time capsule and brought it into space. The actual capsule rests behind me. Andy closed his eyes as the signal wavered. That's strange. Just hold on to it. Try and get that signal back. Very well. The screen suddenly froze and then bubbled with static snow. When he finally lost the Enclave's transmission, he questioned everything about this drama. The data readouts on his screen indicated the neutrino beam had indeed emerged from the quantum level. Andy shook his head as he waited for them to return. He leaned forward on his elbows and closed his eyes. Just a few years from now, the monkeys had eliminated the very humans who created their existence. As he drifted back to sleep within the crackling signal, he wondered if the monkeys would track the thin neutrino beam that had emerged from the subatomic realm. Andy? The screen called. He blinked and then rubbed his eyes. The silos were coated with orange in the early morning sunshine and the lake had darkened to a deep blue. Andy, the neutrino beam is flowing again. Andy slowly sat up. The Enclave? Possible. Andy rolled the chair across the room and retrieved a cup of coffee from the processor. He lifted the black cup, sipped the hot coffee, and returned to the screen. How long was I asleep? Four hours and 22 minutes. Keep trying to capture that neutrino beam. How long can they hide in the future is the question. Sooner or later, they'll be eliminated. He was afraid to input in anything about the Jovian system, lest the monkeys link his activity with the signal. A loud beep sounded as he swigged his coffee. The screen dissolved from snow to men and women at the thick black table on Ganymede. We apologize, Reese. It's a scare. Possible seraph intrusion here. We cannot take the chance and we shut down our signal to you. I totally understand, but I don't know about this great advancement and how that relates to humans and the seraph of the future. The seraph will very soon locate, possess, and destroy us here. The odds do not favor our enclaves. I figured as much. We need your help. My help? How can I help you? Maravite spoke over his bulging eyes. Your message, you understand what we understand. The essence of true humanity involves dealing with our own fallibility and our own imperfection. The Seraph evolved even worse 20 years from now. More sophisticated and powerful. Monstrous. Bark Mahavitz. Kalia stood and placed both his hands on the shiny surface. Humanity is nearly non-existent in the solar system. We need to go back before it all began, Reese, and alter the great advancement. Andy grinned. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble understanding any of this. You just lost your sister. The right elimination had begun. We know your future because it is history to us. You will live another eight years, but you will be suspended for the rest of your life because you challenged the Seraph. The 
elimination of humanity has begun in your time and no one really knows it. I understand what's happening. It's not a pleasant thought. The signal faded to snow again. Damn, get it back! Andy clamped his fist and closed his eyes. They knew about Mariah. Get them back! This is unbelievable! I just don't want the monkeys to monitor this. You do risk that. The signal crackled and the three human forms again appeared on a distorted image. The image sharpened. Can you see us, Reese? Asked the old man. Yes, I see you. Andy leaned toward the screen. I don't understand this and why do you want me back in time? Extrapolations can highlight certain people and events back in time. We have reason to think that you can regroup human history and prevent the triumph of human creation over humanity. Change history? How? Maravites cleared his throat. Restore a simple human responsibility. We believe that we can extrapolate an alternate history. There are a number of important evolving themes before your time, Reese, which, if altered, may salvage the hope of humanity. Whether such a change is permanent is a matter of debate, even among us. Andy stood with a smile stuck to his face. How can you transport me back in time? Gathering a neutrino beam in a higher open area at a prearranged time, as we have locked on your signal now. But we cannot have interference with the ATAS, the time passageway. Your receptor tower at Ptolemy uses many methods of tracking extrasolar planets. Well, we use a Doppler change in spectraline, also a visual tracking method to gauge your planet's transit over a star, as well as variations in the actual planets. Waves can naturally be gathered back to form a spiral tunnel. We can gather you backward through the Aetis. We have awaited such an opportunity. Well, why don't you do it? The Seraph here will find us as soon as we create the Aetis, said Mahavit. Do you understand? Your receptor tower is 400 meters high, away from interference, and the Aetis will be linked to your neutrino signal. Zipporah's face tightened. Your neutrino beacon will actually be part of the Aetis. I can do that if the monkeys don't stop me first. Sapor extended her arms outward. You will need a breathing supply. Your journey back will be completed within a two-hour relative time period. I would think I will be exposed to radiation within all that power. All wave frequencies of the spectrum form on the outside of the Aetis tunnel, said Kalaya. Inside is inert. How? How can you do this? We are able to create negative matter. It is possible to accelerate that negative matter, ripping the fabric of time to form a winding passageway, the Aetis, back to the destination. Hopefully the Seraph will not learn this knowledge. I don't see how creating a time passage is possible. Does it matter whether you understand or not? Andy stared at the image for several seconds. No, I don't suppose it does. When will this happen? As soon as possible. There is a seraph presence of virtual existence. And where would this Aetis bring me? A.D. 1939, Reese. Prior to the 20th century Second World War. 
you sent me something called the Book of Record from that time capsule. A precursor of the great advancement. You will understand, Reese. You'll excuse me if I still don't believe. As colonies competed, it is when this code controlled itself, and then computers, and then later the cloud, biological life forms, and evolution, until stronger intelligences were established. Intelligences that determine not only its own course, but the course of the humans who created the post-biological life. And eventually these forms, post-biological life, had no use for humanity. Please consider our plea. Please consider mankind's plea. We await your contact. In my plugs exist the literature of mankind. The monkeys frown upon literature. Have you ever read T.S. Eliot? Kaliah slowly shook his head. What you are proposing reminds me of part of a poem called The Wasteland, written in the 20th century. I sat upon the shore, fishing with the arid plain behind me. Shall I at least set my lands in order? London Bridge is falling down, falling down. There's nothing left in this time period for me, but I have to think about it. I will let you know. That is all we ask. The enclave faded to static. He slumped in the chair and pinched the bridge of his nose. Screen off, said Andy, fully lowering his head. London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. More data is being received, said the screen. Receive the data, but turn off the damn screen. I need to understand all this. Chapter 3 The snow-laced fields gently rolled with the landscape toward the lake's wind-blown, icy surface. Dan Crutchfield did not respond to Andy's message about heading south to Tolmy. Andy's capsule hummed gently, stirring the snow down the rural road. The monkeys had not bothered the farmers because they deemed food necessary. Unlike the towering structures housing the citizens in dense city areas, the only silos up here were grain silos on the farms. After several sleepless nights, Andy gradually came to believe that the enclave had indeed reached back in time. The prospect of being brought back to a simpler era was almost too compelling. It was worth attempting such a journey from the upper portion of the receptor tower. The forward screen beeped as the capsule veered onto a long stretch of deserted highway along the lake. Andy Reese. The audio was clear. Andy, it's Jonah. I heard you were on your way back to Tolmy. Been a while. Andy's stomach wrenched. Jonah D. Yeah, I'm back. How did you know I was coming back? said he got a message from you. Well, the last I knew, you were tracking a distortion near Jupiter. Oh, I had some problems with my sister. I heard what happened. You need to stop provoking the Seraph and be Seraph correct. He realized he was clenching his fist. Jonah always ingratiated himself to his superiors and to the Seraph. Having him in the midst of the Jovian signal was not a good thing. I'll see you when I get to the observatory. And Andy cut the signal and manually steered the capsule toward the lake. He sped at a five-meter height above the lake. The ice passing below reminded him of a journey back through time. 
During the past few days, he had studied the Enclave's data transfers from a period almost 220 years in the past. Atomic bombs ended the Second World War, and earlier the British population was pummeled by German V-2 rockets. As a child, during his educational indoctrination, the rise of fascism across Europe and the spread of the Japanese imperialism did not interest him, but last night, the images of the demonic Adolf Hitler and his convulsing speeches to the prodigious swat-sticker-waving crowds rattled him. The magnetic hold of Hitler and the brutality of the Nazis convinced him that Hitler might be the pivotal individual. In 1939, Hitler's blitzkrieg demolished Poland. Sixty million people perished in World War II. Those who died changed the future. In 1939, the then United States, led by the charismatic Franklin Delano Roosevelt, had not fully recovered from a time of great unemployment and diminished production. They faced the prospect of fighting a war against Hitler and the Japanese. Why 1939? He had questions about the Book of Record transferred by the Enclave. This book was a cultural, scientific, and human history up to the year 1938. The actual book was stored inside a sealed container on Ganymede. He had read over the book several times and immediately saw the connection between the technological atmosphere of that 1939 exposition in New York City and the great advancement over the next 200 years. Approaching Ptolemy, said the screen. Thank you. On the eastern side of the lake was a rock-carved chasm now stamped with frozen waterfalls and lined with icicle trees. He had aligned his capsule to traverse the lower waterfalls and arc upward near an ancient brick chimney, a remnant of a past industrial era. He never failed to gain the thrilled sensation in his stomach as he rolled upward past the massive ice chunks layered through the rock-walled cavern. As per his instructions, the capsule rotated slightly and then skimmed above the trees eastward up the mountain. Then he swung back over the sculptured gorge in the panoramic lake. He veered toward the receptor tower's glowing white disk atop a thin shaft a full kilometer above the valley. The archaic glass telescopes back in the observatory had been replaced by the high-gain receptors, allowing a complete absorption of the energy spectrum and a high resolution of the solar system and deep space images. The capsule decelerated above a clearing with protruding white domes connected to an extended brick and glass building. He docked his capsule at the building's chrome-side portal tube. Again, he pondered the Enclave's offer. The Enclave members had a sincerity combined with a sense of urgency that captivated his imagination. As he stepped into the docking tunnel, he tried to visualize the radically different past epoch of 1939. With his orange backpack over his shoulder, he moved swiftly to the inner door, where a violet beam swept over his body. The metal door opened and he entered a vinyl tile corridor built centuries ago. Along the hall were a number of offices and a display of a spectrometer used to detect star spectral shifts for exoplanets almost 200 years ago. Andy acknowledged a few of the resident instructors and sky absorbers as he passed. Sonia Margolis spotted him as she walked down the hall. She was a cute little blonde with bright blue eyes and a funny giggle, yet her work in astrophysics was brilliant. 
He always thought she was fonder of him than just work. She gently hugged him as he approached. Hi, Andy. Glad to see you back. Sorry about your sister. Thanks. I have backlogs dating back six months. Well, I've kept your chair warm up in the tower. Anything new up there? Funny you should ask. I located an Earth-like planet in the Corona Australis region. Alfica Meridiana. The unusual thing is the size of the planet, four times the diameter of Earth. The Green Bank receptors have confirmed it. You're kidding. You have images? I do, but still no outer sieves. Well, keep my chair warm, Sonia. I'm going down to see Daniel. I will, she said, hugging him again. He tracked her petite form around the corner and then headed for Daniel's office, about 15 meters on the right. The gray-bearded Daniel, clad in a brown checkered shirt and jeans, opened his dark eyes wide and stood. Andy, my God, you made it! How are things here on Mount Olympus? Well, they've selected the deep space teams. I thought you were rated at the top for that, but your time away and... Andy adjusted his backpack and nodded. I had no choice in what I did for my sister. Oh, I'm sorry about your sister. I, I fear the world is coming apart at the seams. No question about it. Why did you talk to Jonah Dolce about my coming back to Ptolemy? He stroked his gray mustache and shook his head. No, I, I didn't speak with Jonah. Well, damn, he's broken into my communications. Well, be careful. Careful what you say about the seraph. Daniel, there's something else going on here, something incredible. Andy removed a pen from Daniel's desk and wrote in black ink on a piece of white paper. Meet me at the top bridge in the gorge tomorrow morning at 9. The gorge provides a natural blocking and will be a kilometer away from any seraph receptors. Well, I see. I will. Andy strayed to the window. An orange-hued ice covered the lake and extended northward along the uplifted snow-packed fields and the forest to the west. His heart pounded against his ribs. For several minutes he fixated on the sun, popping in and out of the thin western clouds. As he turned, the scrawny Jonah, in his white observation suit, barged in from the hall. I see that the uh, prodigal son has returned to visit his deep space guru. You draw too many conclusions, Jonah said Daniel from his office chair. Andy crumpled up his note and left it inside his clenched fist. Just what are you up to, Andy? Something isn't right. You had best to know your place, Jonah, said Daniel as he stood. For someone nearing the obligatory secession, Dr. Crutchfield, you might temper your criticism of someone who might soon be your superior. Get out of my office, Jonah! Jonah focused his elongated blue eyes on Andy. In light of your suspension, my friend, I would watch my activities outside of Ptolemy. Not Seraph, correct? Shut up. You conformist. When have you ever questioned anything? After repeated suspension is elimination, my friend. Jonah spun around and the sound of his boots hitting the vinyl tiles slowly faded down the corridor. Andy approached his old friend as he whispered. He knows. Knows what? The man has mixed up values. He thinks the seraph are more genuine than human beings. Chapter 4 Someone had followed him up the narrow trail between the stratified rocks. 
Along the frozen falls, Andy proceeded gingerly through the gorgeous, frigid air. At one of the upper ledges, he saw movement across the lower bridge down the gorge. He removed a pair of mags. Jonah and three other men vanished behind the adjacent ledge. Damn! He tucked the mags back in his pack and trotted faster. With Jonah and his friends not too far behind, he would need to leave the trail. He sprinted into the shadowed crevice at the bend and scampered up the jutting rocks. When he was about five meters above the trail, he wedged himself between the ice-coated ledge. At first, he heard grinding in the dirt on the lower rocks. Jonah's scraggly blonde hair was visible for an instant. Foggy breaths rose upward and dissipated into the canyon as the men passed below. He waited a few minutes and then hoisted himself up a few meters. Jonah and the three other men, in blue warming jackets, proceeded around the bend and then up the chasm. Daniel had not yet arrived at the Green Metal Bridge. Jonah and his three lackeys would reach the Ptolemy Road in a few minutes. Provided they didn't head down the path, he would be able to speak with Daniel on the bridge. He waited until Daniel, wearing an orange coat, drifted onto the green suspension bridge. With no sign of Jonah, he shimmied his way back to the trail. Then he increased his pace along the ledge. Daniel saluted from the bridge trail. Andy checked the trail toward Ptolemy and then darted down onto the bridge boards. Well, you took the long way up, said Daniel with a smile. I was followed by Jonah and three guys. What did he want? I crawled up one of the side crevices. They never saw me. I would assume they went up to the observatory. No doubt they were following me. Daniel's wrinkled face tightened deeper. Andy, I think you'd better tell me what's going on. Andy peered over the frozen waterfalls and the myriad of tiny streams meandering out of the ice and onto the rocks. The sun had pierced the pines and brightened the rock layers. He continued to stare as he spoke. Have you studied the disturbances around Jupiter? Most confusing. No one can figure out why a moon on Jupiter would be the focus of such energy distortion. Then again, no one has checked it in some time. You will never be able to know because it's a compressed frequency through time and directed on a neutrino beam at my screen up in the silo. Compressed frequencies are only at the quantum level and consist of coded signals maybe over three or four seconds. I have heard signals over a few minutes. I am sure it is your own beam being bounced back to you. Andy turned in the sunlight and shielded his eyes. I assure you, Daniel, this signal has come back 20 years from Ganymede. That is quite impossible, said Daniel as he grabbed the rail with his gloves. The monkeys of the future are about to wipe out humanity 20 years from now, and they can enter human bodies. There's a group of people hiding on Ganymede. He furrowed his brow. Andy, if you'll pardon me, but this is absolutely bizarre. Even if true, why would they contact you? My first question exactly. It's my neutrino beam. You're not going to believe this. This is not exactly serif correct. I suggest you tell me before Jonah and his friends come back. Andy stroked his chin. The enclave wants to prevent the rise of the serif. How? By going back in time. Andy, uh, well, I half believe that such a quantum signal is possible over 20 years. Sending you back in time to prevent the serif is a little hard to grasp. 
he was mesmerized by the canyon as he paced along the bridge. Utilizing negative matter. They want to send me back to A.D. 1939, 218 years ago. It's their contention there are ways to stop the way history evolved after 1939. Wild dreamers, I think you should take this story, Andy, and put it back on the shelf. They want to lock onto my neutrino beam in an open area to capture the signal. Daniel held his shoulder. This will get you eliminated for sure. You're right. One slip up and the monkeys will come after me. And then it's not going to matter if I go back to 1939 or anywhere else. I don't mean to insult you, but time travel is just not possible. My gut tells me you're wrong and that the Enclave is telling the truth. Daniel, what is there to lose in getting the signal to them? Your life and mine, I might add. I just lost my sister. The monkeys are eliminating humans all over. I'll take the chance that the Enclave is telling the truth and that they can send me back to change things. Daniel swallowed twice. I'm sorry, Andy. I have a wife of 42 years and three grown children and six grandchildren. I won't risk being eliminated. Good luck. He turned and retreated across the bridge. Daniel! Daniel! Andy watched him traverse the trail and then turned back to the gorge. Daniel's blatant rejection left him alone and fearful of the monkeys. It was as if he, like the frozen ice in the chasm, was incapable of change. Trying to avoid the monkeys meant not accepting any incoming signals or cooperating with the Enclave in any way. As he continued across the bridge, the cold breeze from the lake blew against his face. His eyes watered, but not from the icy air but from his being stymied by ignorance. Chapter 5 He had not seen Daniel during the week that followed. More than likely, Daniel's apprehension about the monkeys kept him away. Of more concern for Andy as he worked with the deep space receptors was the fact that no compressed signal had arrived from the Enclave. The white dome atop the tower was enclosed with 50 oblong receptors as Sonya watched in one of the side offices, he adjusted a crisp picture of a green-brown planet with huge azure oceans shaded by a small, distant red star. Galice 581G, the fourth planet of this red dwarf system, I was able to penetrate a coastal area in the northern hemisphere. Readings indicated an organic crust and the presence of microbes, but no higher life. Well, let's see your closer image, said Sonya. Andy manually typed in the coordinates. A smooth coastline with sandy cliffs extended to an ocean horizon. The ocean waves slowly rolled toward an inward, vacant gray beach. Such beauty and no upper forms of life. Do you have any idea how many of these planets have been logged? She asked as she leaned over his shoulder, her blonde hair brushing his neck. Andy looked up. Her body wash had a sweet smell. 4,652,000. Now, how do you know that? Well, I read the stats before I came over to the dome. Oh, what a pain you are, she said, pretending to punch his shoulder. That's why I keep sending out my outer civilization message. She raised her brows and had a quirky grin. Like trying to win with those gambling numbers they used to have. Yeah, but sometimes, somewhere, somebody wins. You working late again? Oh, I probably will. 
You want some dinner downtown before I come back up here? A nice little meal, a little Chardonnay? Sure. Let me get my things together in my office and I can meet you down here in 15 minutes. Andy half grinned as she headed down the ladder toward the tube. If he was not so preoccupied with the enclave, he might date her on a regular basis. She gave him a quick wave and then disappeared down the tube. He activated his plugs on his wrist. His outer sieve message had repeated 800 times since he had returned to Ptolemy. Yet the enclave had not responded. Maybe Daniel was right. Andy docked his capsule downtown in an empty rear lot. The snow slowly sifted down to the pavement. He passed a stone monolith designating the planet Jupiter built hundreds of years ago, and he scuttled up the granite stairs to a thin black tower rising into the mist. As a blue beam encircled his body, he repeatedly thought of his message now beaming into space. Once he passed security, a stainless steel door opened and he moved upward toward the restaurant. When the doors slid open, the warmer air and the pervasive aroma from evening meals filtered inside, relaxing his burgeoning emotions. He mentioned Sonya's name to the maitre d', a short man with red spiked hair, who brought him over to the table overlooking the darkening snow-covered street. Sonya wore her Ptolemy aqua bodysuit and smiled. Andy! Well, you're looking sparkling tonight. I must say we have the identical suit, but yours looks better on you. Why, thank you, sir, she said with a coy smile and then sat down. And you ordered the Chardonnay. Andy glanced at the depiction of a fireplace on the screen near the wall, and then he poured the Chardonnay into her crystal glass. The outside windows now revealed a long, west coast ocean span. He lifted the wine glass, and they clinked the glasses. To the outer civilizations, no matter where they might be. Sometimes I think we're wasting our time just searching for outer sieves. It will not be in vain, I assure you, said Andy. Well, we've mapped and analyzed exoplanets for hundreds of years. We've found life and life forms, but no outer civilizations. Come on, Andy. What are you thinking about? He wondered if he could confide his confidence of the Enclave. After Daniel's rebuff, he knew he would have to pursue the Enclave alone. You know, this wine is as real as the fireplace in the Pacific Ocean on the screen. They both laughed and sipped the Chardonnay. I've often thought what it would be like to have a real fire going in this place. Real? As they laughed, the little man with the red spiked hair appeared on the screen in the center table. I see you have ordered the halibut, Dr. Reese, and on six occasions, judging from the Chardonnay, may I recommend the meal? 06792. Well, that's fine. And Dr. Margolis, I trust the same for you. No, I'll have a Texas ribeye steak. Are you sure? With wide fries and lots of cream cheese. Cream cheese is not nutritionally appropriate, but the steaks and fries can be modified to decrease harm to your body. Oh, just order the steak. 14511-X. Make that too, 4511-X, said Andy, as he informed him that the water would come with the meal and the screen went blank. I don't know about you, but I like to make my own decisions, said Andy. Not the world we live in, Andy. I've been studying the 20th century. Is that wise? The monkeys haven't forbid that yet.
he said and finished the Chardonnay in his glass. Why do you call the seraph monkeys? Andy smiled. Because they're not human. Ever since what they used to call the internet evolved into post-biological life forms, they're just impulses inside the cloud with the same lack of reflection that monkeys would have if they were just set free in the jungle. They only act from what they know. They only enforce what has become the general consensus among them. And in doing so, they've deprived the human spirit. Everything is serif correct. Or monkey correct, she said with a smile. Let me get serious. I'm not familiar with the 20th century. Why would humans surrender to impulses? How did it happen? Well, early on, there were advances. Marconi and the radio... Then video transmission and computers. Computers were machines that used off and on impulses to solve problems. And then at the end of the century, it became personal. Every aspect of life, especially communications, flowed throughout what was called the Internet. The first evidence of the monkeys came when the systems became linked and the applications shared with the ethereal structure. The impulses became an entity in themselves, and those entities controlled human endeavors. That's when humans first surrendered because it was easy and gradual. It took 150 years for the eliminations to have an effect. The seraph is truly like a snake, winding and penetrating all aspects of human life. Eventually, there will only be a small enclave of humans left, and that will be in space. But that's speculation. No, it's fact. The waiter brought the steaks and swung the silver trays onto the table. If, if only there was a way to go back and stop it. She grabbed a french fry and munched on it as she spoke. Okay, somebody goes back in time. What do you do when you get there? Tear down the radio towers? Andy grinned and chewed on the steak. I don't think it would be that simple. There must be forces that shape that change. I know people were a lot freer back 200 years ago. And people are what make the difference, Sonia. A chance to find what you want in life without being serif correct. And Andy, I hear rumblings, underground rumblings, that entire silos are disappearing, mass eliminations. Andy held a piece of steak in midair. His eyes tightened as he looked across the restaurant. Jonah was pointing an amplifier toward the table and Daniel stood next to him. Both men were with the same guys who were on the trail with Jonah. What's the matter? Jonah, Dolce, and Daniel listening from the corner. She peered over his shoulder. Maybe they want to join us. There are others there with them. We need to go. Why? He stood, and with the food still steaming on the table, he took Sonia by the arm and backtracked across the restaurant. He stopped at the rear stairs. This is not good. Andy, I don't understand. It's just Jonah and Daniel. There's more going on here, and Jonah is doing his best to throw me to the monkeys. For what reason? She asked as they descended the wide staircase. I don't even dare go back to my capsule. You have no idea. She took his hand. Come with me. They entered the tube and descended toward street level. Andy wiped the sweat off his forehead and his breathing increased. He said nothing all the way down. The tube opened and they ran into the colder air. I think Jonah is serious about having the monkeys eliminate me. Why? 
she asked as she pulled him down the side street. She opened her capsule remotely and they climbed inside. Did you do something wrong? Other than speaking out against the monkeys killing my sister? No! How horrible! Where do you want to go? Let's go back to the receptor tower. Okay. The capsule went smoothly down the side streets and then lifted upward near the park. Just above treetop level, they buzzed up the hillside and over the moonlit gorge. Andy pinched his brow as he wondered how close Jonah and his goons were to snitching to the monkeys. I don't want to get you in trouble, Sonia. You might start by telling me what's got them in such a tizzy. The capsule tilted upward. In the moonlight, the clear bubbled receptor tower was visible several hundred meters above them. He enlarged the moon on the screen. Do you think the old Soviet Union would have gotten to the moon first if they didn't take chances? When Ivan Kosnetnova was the first human being to step on the moon in 1975, what does that have to do with Jonah and the other men? Because when things change, it's easy to think that's the way it's always been. But at the time, it was against the grain. It's about thinking things through and sticking with it. That's what happened to me. You know that outer civilization message I send out? Sure, I've always wondered why the outer civilization spoke English, she said grinning, but her smile dropped when he stared at the moon settlements between the lunar mountains and valleys. Is your message not serif correct? Andy slowly faced her. It's not about the message. It's about who responded to that message. You found an outer civilization? Not exactly, he said as the capsule rotated and edged down the dock. I received a signal through time, a quantum compressed signal directed only at me. The capsule locked in place. She cut the moon's image. I didn't think something like that was possible. I can only tell you that it is possible. Listen, you don't need to get involved in this. The inner door opened and they stood and then walked into a corridor rimmed with floor lights. Who contacted you? They stopped at a darker observation deck and he gripped the rail as he looked down over the moonlit countryside and lake. Again he stared at the moon. The last group of humans hiding in an enclave on Ganymede. What do you mean the last group? With tears in his eyes, he studied her smooth-skinned face. Sonia, the monkeys, they eliminated everyone else over time, and that's just 20 years from now. Why did the Seraph blame you? I made a major miscalculation. I told Daniel what I'm about to finish telling you. He faced the window span again. The moon was huge in the sky. They want to send me back in time. She started to smile and then nodded. You were trying to tell me that back in the restaurant. I won't ask how because you probably don't know how. No, I really don't. They somehow have connected the year 1939 with the cross currents of history, before what they call the Great Advancement. They've gained knowledge of people and events where they think they can send somebody back in time through a time warp that they call the Atis. Doing something back in 1939 can prevent the runaway rise of power of the Seraph. You didn't call them monkeys. He raised his left brow and smiled. They started back down the corridor. I need to disappear, head into the hinterland where the monkeys can't find me. What about this enclave? They stepped into the tube. While I continue to contact them, they require a neutrino beam from me. It acts like a beacon. 
The tube locked into the upper section. They strode into the top receptor area. Where will you go? Can I help? I have friends up north, literally in the woods of what used to be northwestern Canada. That will at least buy me some time. Without the cloud, the monkeys are powerless. They peter out. The problem is getting out of here. The upper flat white receptors spread over dozens of meters, populated the sky dome like mushrooms in the forest. He eyed the flashing red light on his desk screen. Sonia was also focused on the light. Andy held the desk and leaned toward her. Incoming message on a neutrino beam? All right! Andy had first checked the message properties. Internal systems showed a very thin neutrino beam. He looked up. Compressed quantum to neutrino. That's their signature. He activated the screen. Through the snowy static morass, the magenta sky brightened. Sonia leaned on his shoulder as only the image of Kalia sharpened on the screen. Oh, good God. Kalia spoke immediately. I'm in the receptor tower, but I'm being followed. We need to act now. The old man leaned to his right. As he conferred with someone, Sonia held his wrist. Are you telling me this is coming through time? 20 years ahead. Well, it's risky staying right here, said Sonia. I can get you some supplies in my office and bring you out of the area. I don't think you're bringing me out of the area. It's smart, I mean, thank you. I would need an old-style gas vehicle and the ability to fuel up along the way. If I use a capsule, the monkeys will track me down, and dear Sonia, I have to hang around here for the Atis. The what? The passageway. They'll send a passageway through time. Kalia leaned forward. Reese, we need your neutrino beam. I can send the beam easy enough, but I'm under scrutiny here. We require great power to create the negative matter. I have to reiterate again that I'm being followed. I'll remain here in the tower. Should you activate the ATIS, you need to tell me right away. I may be eliminated. We're gathering the power right now, beginning to construct the ATIS. Andy glanced at the tube. Jonah and the others would quickly figure out he had gone back to the observatory. He ran his teeth over his lower lip as he pondered, traveling through the ATIS to 1939. How the hell am I supposed to know what to do once I get back there? We're talking about people and things that have influenced what happened over the next 218 years. Zipporah's crimson hair was the next thing he saw. She faced him alone as Goliath had a few minutes before. Please activate what you call your plugs. A block cloud connection. Andy fiddled with the plugs on his wrist. Okay, it's functioning. I understand. Her voice slowed and she articulated every word. You are being brought back to Iowa in June 1839. Iowa was a state. Correct. In the United States of America, a man named Herman Geiger, who was killed at the New York World's Fair in the summer of 1939. Geiger is the pivotal figure in time. Death was not made public because of the pending war and his ties to Germany. After the summer of 1939, all records of Geiger are gone. 
How is he pivotal? Geiger's works were buried in the time capsule recovered from the site of the 1939 World's Fair in what used to be New York City. It was originally placed in the vault during the antiquity period of September the 23rd, 1938, and historical preservation extricated that capsule to the safety of the enclave as we fled Earth. Geiger, according to our extrapolation, if he lives, will prevent the great rocket tragedies of the 1950s and 60s before space travel was halted by the United States. But there is more to Geiger. Kalaya folded his hands and then spoke in a clear voice. This exposition had great hope for the future. The exposition stressed improvements in progress. We will transfer all data in that exposition. Let us display the opening statement of the president of the World's Fair. fellow citizens 
trades in quantum mechanics. But he also had dreams of the future involving flights to the moon and time travel. Geiger is in Iowa, is that it? No. So how do I find him? You need the means to survive in the 20th century as well as travel to the fair. A young girl, Lucy Appel, recently graduated from school. She will be the means to get you to the World's Fair in what was called New York City. She won a writing competition stating what the New York World's Fair meant to her. People at the fair paid her expenses to travel from her father's farm in Hancock. She lived another 76 years and died in 2005. Here is the link to the history. Lucy Appel corresponded with Herman Geiger. You're telling me I have to stop Geiger from being killed at the 1939 World's Fair in New York. The woman spoke again. Space travel or being on the moon stop the seraph. People will think race to plan technological change in context, historically and ethically, to proceed hopefully into the future. Just look at the elimination around you from the thoughtless seraph entities. Technology proceeded forward with enthusiasm of the 1939 fair, but with one important caveat. That is the timeline we calculate if Geiger lives. Think about the advancement. Thinking. What does that mean? Asked Andy. Humans simply thought about or reflected on their progress. Not to stop progress, but to understand the implications of progress. One man will cause that? Yes. And no American will die in the Second World War if Geiger lives. Words fueled a movement called America First that garnered popular support against the war. Are you sure of what you're doing? She conferred with Kalaya. The probability is near certain. Near certain doesn't cut it. Wait, I've watched files of Hitler and the Japanese. Do they rule the world? Is that it? Is that what you people are up to? She shook her head. I won't go back and let a madman like Hitler win anything. There must be an alternate timeline. Please, I need to continue. The Japanese Empire slowly disintegrated in China, emerged as a power in 1986. Hitler left the United States alone. He died from a reaction to drugs, diabetes, and a heart condition in 1949. The Thousand-Year Reich soon imploded. If history changes, Geiger and America First are given credit to having spared American lives. 
Geiger directs his attention to the human response to technology, raising the consciousness so technology does not run wild. He chides the churches and the volunteer organizations into fulfilling a role, and most of all, he gets people to accept responsibility for their actions in his social technocracy movement. He makes people think about the consequences of their actions. Geiger lives until 1996. Because he lives, the seraphs never exist. We have explored the lives of hundreds of people. It is Geiger who can make the difference, but we still have the seraph to contend with as we construct the Atos. You must stop the seraph. Our ultimate fear is the seraph getting inside the Atos and going back in time with you. Seraphs are our time are more sophisticated and able to survive inside machinery, electrical power lines, and actually inside a human being. Inside a human? I haven't heard of that. It is a common appearance in our time. The Sarah can take over a persona and use a body for their own ends. Very, very dangerous. You can't let them follow me back, said Andy. We will take all precautions toward that end, said Kaliah. Andy pinched the bridge of his nose. If he was not being chased by Jonah, he might reconsider the Enclave's offer. Wait, how do I contact this Lucy Appel? Where do I find her? Sonia skidded on the floor as she ran from her office. Andy! Andy! What is it? Daniel just called me. He wanted to know why we left the restaurant so fast. Andy stood and drank some water. What did you tell him? I said I was sick and went home. Well, they must have asked about me. Yes, I said you went walking. My life is in jeopardy. He tightened his face as he hurried over to check the lower area on the screen. The outside lot was quiet with just Sonia's capsule docked at the portal. His heart thumped as he spoke faster. My capsule is still downtown. Do they know you're here right now? No, at least not yet. He nodded. Look, you need to go home. I can't put you in harm's way. I need to stay. Sonia, come on. The odds are better with two people. It's my choice. Isn't that what the Enclave is telling you? A world where people make choices? Andy smiled. You're crazy. She looked up and smiled. I know that. Here's the salient point. It's not exclusively the Seraph that seek out Andy. Snitches like Jonah Dolce and Daniel are all too eager to please the Seraph. Only the Enclave, facing extinction in the future, attempt to save humanity. Andy is ready to leave this world and all too ready to accept the Enclave terms. Next time, Andy fights to stay ahead of the Seraph and somehow be taken back to 1939. I'm Robert P. Fitton, looking for the ATOS, where Andy Reese is about to escape the tyranny of the future. See you next week. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittonbooks.com, or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz.com dash pizzazz.com